uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. He was the consummate character actor, a character actor who became a star. That face was just so magical. There is not a single movie I've ever done that is not under the shadow that this man casts. This storm will be magnificent. He kind of backs into the scene and turns around slowly in the lights, and there's that face. You can't imagine a better entrance. You can show that image to almost anyone in the world. What's this? Frankenstein! In The Bride of Frankenstein, they virtually crucify the monster. I saw my messiah. The gods will receive into the underworld the spirit of Anxanaman. He had just an extraordinary career. I mean, everybody raves about him. People think of him as either British or Russian, but he was actually of Indian descent. There were various things he didn't want to talk about. What was he running away from when he left home? What was he frightened of? He becomes kind of a lovable uncle. He was Uncle Boris. He was a very, very interesting, complex man, but he's always an outsider, always feels he doesn't quite belong. You'll never get rid of me, Toddy. I think there's an enigma. There's a real mystery at the heart of Boris Karloff, and no one's quite cracked it yet. Certain actors bring the camera to them, and Karloff had that power. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, we are blessed to be in the presence of our dear friend, Lord Bloodraw, joining us today. Thank you, Lord Bloodraw. Uh, always a pleasure to be here on Planet 8. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. And Lord Bloodraw is joining us today for our Christmas discussion, which is all about Christmas with Karloff, the one and only. Straight away, let's kick it up to the satellite. Karen, why don't you regale us with some information on Boris's Christmas endeavors? Well, thanks, Larry. So yeah, the idea for this basically came out of uh, thinking about uh, Christmas coming up, some of the things we love about Christmas. And uh, of course, there is the beloved uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And I'm talking about the original How the Grinch Stole Christmas, 1966, which featured Boris Karloff as both the narrator and also the voice of the Grinch. And I had the most unfortunate uh, discussion with some younger coworkers a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, I can see by your pained expressions, I you know where this coming. is going. Uh, yeah, a few years ago, talking at Christmas time and uh, talking about the Grinch 
And I said something to the effect of like, oh, I just loved Boris Karloff's voice as the Grinch. And then I had all these blank expressions, these blank faces looking at me. And, and I'm like, you know, Boris Karloff, the Grinch. And they're like, uh-uh. Don't you and mean of course, Jim Carrey? <laughs> they were all, yeah, all talking about Jim Carrey. And I was like, ah. I'm like, no, go back and watch the original cartoon. And they're like, there's an original cartoon? Not one of them knew. No, nobody knew. I just, it was so, you know, I had to get myself out of there before I either harmed them or myself. So. What's happened to our culture? Yes. <laughs> one wonders. Um, but yes, it's such a fantastic cartoon. And uh, both, you know, it combines humor. It's so heartfelt. Um, it's just so, so kooky and funny. Um, and I think, you know, as a kid, I always knew I, I don't I can't even tell you, like, when did I first see like Frankenstein's monster? When did I first see the Universal monsters? I don't know. They were always sort of there. And so I knew that Boris Karloff was the monster, but then like, oh, he's also like somehow doing this voice. So there was always this sort of intrigue about this this man who was both the monster, but also this amazing presence who could be like this um, voice and seemed, then you'd see like his appearances and other things. And he seemed like this very urbane and gentle man. And so, um, it was, I think, initially through seeing The Grinch that, uh, you know, I developed some interest in, like, who really was Boris Karloff? And it turned out he was a very interesting gentleman. And so I think that is the genesis of how we decided we wanted to talk about Boris Karloff. And it seemed Christmas is just as fitting a time as any since his connection with the Grinch, which he won a Grammy for. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Sarah, Sarah Karloff um, said in an interview that he rarely talked about his work, any of his roles or anything. But he called her out of the blue and said, you know, I've done something that you and the grandchildren might really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And you should, you should, you know, you should watch this when it comes out. And it was the Grinch and they were, they just loved it. He was very proud of that. He was very proud of doing that. Well, and he yeah. seemed to enjoy spending time, you know, uh, kind of making kids happy. They talked about in different sources how he enjoyed entertaining kids and that kids were like naturally drawn to him because he had a little bit of a kind of a mischievous, goofy nature. Um which I, I think is just fascinating because, you know, here's uh, the uh, Karloff, you know, the the boogeyman. And yet <laughs> he likes to, to play little pranks and do funny things. Right. You know, I think it was reading famous monsters, maybe Starlog. I, as a kid, I never put the two together. It was, you know, the mummy and, and Frankenstein and, you know, um, Jekyll and Hyde with Abbott and Costello. That was, you know, my my experience with Karloff. And, it, you know, every year you'd watch, you know, The Grinch and uh, Bob Wilkins. You know, we're so fortunate. Those of us in the Bay Area have had Bob Wilkins. He interviewed Karloff. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it was only when I read, you know, that, oh, he did this, this, and this. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it, it is. And something that kind of struck me, it's like, Karloff is known for, you know, all these roles of monsters and macabre. And yet he has the heart of, of like you're saying, you know, for children and just, you know, a benevolence and, and just a sweetheart of a person. Uh, Dick Van Dyke every year decorates his home in, in like a haunted, scary, you know, yet yet he's, you know, with Mary Poppins singing about a jolly holiday. It's like That's right. That's right. kind of like a, a similarity with with Karloff, but uh, Karloff getting... was very gifted um, doing comedy as well. He was very good. I hosted a movie called The Boogeyman Will Get You with Karloff and um, Peter Lorre. Oh. And it's a madcap kind of it's it was made on the strength of Karloff being involved in Arsenic and Old Lace. Mm. And when he was on hiatus from that Broadway play, um, the studio made this film to kind of cash in on that success. And he's hilarious at it. He's this kind of doddering old um, uh, mad scientist. And uh, Peter Lorre is the sheriff of the town and also a mad scientist. It's a very, it's a very fun movie. He actually did a lot of, um, of uh, comedies. It's, uh, the, the two that um, come to mind are uh, the comedy of terrors and the Raven mm-hmm. with uh, Roger Corman. That's and right. both of those with Vincent Price and Peter Lorre. Mm-hmm. He was very funny in, in both of those. Yeah, you know, when I used to watch The Grinch as a kid. Oh, Bob, you scared me. Put the mask back on. <laughs> <laughs> got to take that thing off. I got to talk once in a while. I gotta say <laughs> um, but I still have Frank on the, on the shirt. That's cool. But, um, yeah, no, being a kid growing up watching The Grinch, I mean, The Grinch was, what, 67? I, blessed, I watched it the first time it came on because I was like <clears throat> about seven years old. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I had probably seen Frankenstein, maybe, you know, but he doesn't talk in that. So how would you equate one with the other? I think if there's anywhere I heard his voice prior to uh, – the Grinch, it would have been the old Bobby Boris Pickett Monster Mash album. Mm. Where he he basically imitates Karloff throughout all the songs. You know? Or you'd have, was it Frank Gorshin? He used to go on the variety shows. He'd always do a Boris Karloff you know, imitation. Ooh. He'd always start off with antipasto. You have to be able to say antipasto in order to, in order to uh, imitate Boris. But... Um, I mean, if you think about the Grinch, I mean, Chuck Jones. Yeah. You know, made some of the best, you know, of the uh, Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner cartoons and all yeah. that. And, and that he was the one who uh, directed yeah. the Grinch. Yep. So the animation was great. The characters are great. And then Boris's voice, you know, Boris Karloff's voice. And you really, you hear it when he's acting, but when he's narrating something or he's reading a story or whatever, you really realize how unique his voice was, and mm-hmm. and how uh, you know clear and and all that he could. I mean, people always say, "Hey, if you could have anyone narrate your the story of your life, who would it be?" It's like, well, maybe it'd be Boris Karloff. You know? yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a lot of uh, radio. 
mm. in the in the 40s and 50s. Um, there was a series he did called Are You One of the Frightened? And it was released on record. I'm not entirely sure if it was a radio series or just an album of vignettes, but they, they were just weird little stories about uh, one of them was about um, the famous uh, um, Chinese Siamese twins who somehow one of them, one of them died and the other died of a heart attack once they found that the other one was dead and another just very, the, I, really just kind of strange little snippets of of weird facts and things very well done extremely well done he did um a series of episodes of lights out mm. that were amazing obviously playing various characters and um things like that but yeah that voice is captivating absolutely captivating and it's, it's really ironic that the big role that broke him in Hollywood was silent, right? <laughs> Absolutely silent. And he fought against speaking as uh, the monster in Bride of Frankenstein. Right. Well, you think too about the other horror actors and, you know, Bella Lugosi had a oh, yeah. accent. Right. And a lot of times he was saying his roles phonetically, you know, English was definitely a second language to him. Peter Laurie had that just kind of weird, bizarre type German. voice. Yeah. And, uh, and Lon Chaney Jr., you know, he had a deep voice, but the only one I, I think whose voice could compare to Boris would be Vincent Price. Yeah. 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 I mean, good point. They but, both yeah. really knew how to use the eccentricities of their voice right. voices in in really in really uh, and, and yeah, and to see the two of them together in uh yes. in the Raven is yes. you know. And Peter Laurie as well, but right, right, and in in the very in the young, rate, okay, I'm sorry, what about very young Jack Nicholson, extremely young Jack Nicholson, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seeing him back then, you wouldn't think, wow, this guy's going to be a great actor someday. Oh, <laughs> That's, that was the, you know, I know, I know, we did an American International episode, but that was the amazing thing about American International Pictures. It's like they they got some of the actors and. And talent, they're kind of towards the ends of their careers. But they also brought in new talent that was at the beginning of their careers and went on to much bigger things like, mm -hmm. you know, Roger Corman and uh, Peter Bogdanovich and, you know, just quite a few, you know, oh, Chris yeah. Coppola and, of course, Jack Nicholson, right. Peter Fonda. So, I mean, they're, it was pretty amazing. Michael oh, Land. Yeah. Yeah, most of uh, Hollywood. Of course, at a few American international pictures later, you know, in, his, in the tail, tail end of his career, basically, because he passed away in the late 60s. But yeah, um, yeah. Well, with the, 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 the three of uh, the three of those actors doing comedy, Karloff, Laurie and Vincent Price, they were a really interesting team because Karloff was very was stage trained. So he was very, you know, know the script, know the script inside out, do the script. Peter Laurie was much more, yeah, I got an idea of the script, but let you know, he would much more he would improvise more and kind of play with it. And Vincent Price could do both. He knew the script cold, but he was also playful enough to do it. So he was kind of the moderator between uh, Peter Laurie and Boris Karloff, as far as the three of them working together, they must have had a fascinating 
working relationship. I, I agree. I, I would have loved to have been like one of the production folks, you know, working on there, even if it's a grip, just oh, watching yeah. that happen. Oh, yeah. You know, I was, I was trying to read up on it and it's like, there wasn't a lot on their relationships, but I mean, obviously he and Bella had a good relationship. They're in a lot of movies together, mm -hmm. especially in the early years. But it seemed like he was actually a little closer to Peter Lorre as far as friendships go. And hmm. uh, Interesting. Okay, well, that's good yeah. to know. That is interesting. How yeah. or why, I don't know, but yeah. that's just the kind of the impression I got. Yeah. Well, Karloff and Lugosi were such different yeah. people. Lugosi was, um, was much more of a, a loner. He also, like, he would be, he would socialize, but very much in the kind of, european hungarian clique in hollywood at the time whereas karloff was much more of kind of a a family guy uh, collected stamps into sports that kind of thing cricket two very um, different cricket, cricket very into cricket <laughs> very into cricket two two very different um uh, i think very different people i think too uh you know lon chaney jr and bella lugosi both got into their addictions later in life. And that may have kind of made him kind of separate himself from them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whenever Karloff would refer to Bela Lugosi, he would call him poor Bela. Poor Bela. He would just say poor Bela. He would, who, the guy could never catch a break. The addiction uh, was, he was bankrupt. I want to say, two or three years after he did Dracula he ended up bankrupt. Um, yeah. Uh, and also I think that going back to the voice, Bela's voice obviously was very distinctive, but huh. that accent always gave him, uh, it, it typecast him in a sense of being very dark, mysterious, and he wasn't all that flexible with his voice, whereas Karloff was very flexible with his voice and could do a lot more with it. And as Americans, we uh, don't find the British accent as mysterious or, you know, alluring as the Hungarian accent, which even in Europe is a very strange accent. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a hard accent and an almost impossible accent to get rid of. And I think it's it's interesting, too, with Karloff he had that lisp which yes. he never he never lost uh which you know could have been an impediment could have been problematic for him yet he had such a great tone and yeah. a great speaking ability that it made up for that you know he yeah. never had a problem getting any kind of uh work as far as narration or or acting went mm -hmm. You know, and and you you hear it. I mean, when he's speaking, you hear it, but it's sort of like, who cares? Because the rest is so overwhelmingly good, you know. And, you know, the other thing he had going for him in, in doing my research, he really built relationships with these folks that he would work with. And if, if a project came up, they'd introduce him. And he's like, yeah, sure, let's take a look at it. Let's, you know, let's see what we can come up with. And, you know, he had projects that he died before he could finish. I mean, that he never retired. Right. He had work set up to go and then just didn't well, make it that. I developed that in the early days because Carl Lemley and, and James Whale. 
and Bella and Boris Karloff. They were all very close. Right. And did a lot of, you know, a lot more projects together other than. Oh, and, and Jack Pierce, too. I mean, you know, you know mm-hmm. they got along famously. They spent hours in that makeup chair for the monster. <laughs> well, and it's interesting how you, when you read about Karloff and the makeup, you don't read about him ever complaining about the things he had to go through with the makeup. Whereas if you read about, say, Lon Chaney Jr., oh, it yeah. seemed like, oh, my God, he was always fighting with Pierce. He was always yeah. ticked off about the makeup and everything else. So, you know, it just shows you the different personalities of the men, right? You know, and Karloff, I really wonder, like, one of the things I did not realize before we decided to do this episode, I, I knew it had taken him a long time to be a successful actor, but I didn't realize that he did things like he did manual labor. I mean, he did, he was, I think doing like stuff with the railroad and he was doing, yeah, trucks and truck driving and also, I mean, he worked really hard and he saw a side of life uh, that was, you know, very difficult compared to, oh, I'm going to go on a set and I'm going to act for a while. And you know, I, I can't help but think that that influenced how he lived his life later on. And like you're saying, oh, he he built relationships and he always had projects because he probably in the back of his head was thinking, hey, I finally got it made. You know, I got to keep this stuff going. Yeah. I mean, 80, yeah. 81 movies before he landed Frankenstein and yeah. became an overnight success. <laughs> 81 <laughs> movies. And um, he was supposedly the legend goes that um, uh, James Whale, who directed Frankenstein, would refer to him as that truck driver. Oh. And kind of kind of disparaging him for his working class, which is funny because James Whale came from a working class background as well, but was always aspiring to be more. He always he called Karloff behind his back that truck driver, you know. And um, he, oh, and a, a quick story about James Whale and what finally kind of landed Karloff in a wheelchair. Boris Karloff objected to the scene in the original Frankenstein where he's supposed to throw the girl in the lake. Mm-hmm. He objected to it. He didn't want to do it. Right. James Whale wanted him to pick the girl up over his head and throw her in. Mm-hmm. He wanted to, he said, no, can I just pick her up and gently lay her in the water? And they kind of compromised. He picks her up and just tosses her in. But he disagreed with James Whale in front of the cast and crew. So and so the story goes to punish him. There's the scene towards the end of the movie where the monster is carrying Dr. Frankenstein up to the windmill. Mm-hmm. He made him do that shot over and over and over, actually carrying Colin Clive mm-hmm. with that makeup on that suit, those those cement stomper, you know, boots. And uh, it, it messed up his back. It messed up his back. And he was so, when the movie came out, the the studio really didn't know what they had with Boris Karloff's performance because he was not even invited to the premiere. That's crazy. The studio, it's crazy, isn't it? They didn't invite him to the premiere. To them, the star, the star was Colin Clive. Huh. Right. Right. But everybody, I mean, how can you the movie? That? Isn't it like the monster and then there's a question mark? 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And his, his name is not revealed until uh, the final credits. Yeah. Right. And then I think it's just Karloff, right? It's not. No, it's Boris Karloff. Later, it became Karloff. such a huge thing that later Karloff. Karloff yeah. the Uncanny. Like in the Mummy. Yeah. Yeah. The Karloff the Uncanny. Forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was never. Very few stars then and even now. Go by the are called name. by, you know. Right. So it was it was pretty cool <laughs> yeah yeah in fact when he did um i think it was a i believe it was a year later i don't think it was the same year i think it was 32 he did the old dark house in the original theatrical version there's a disclaimer at the beginning that says yes the actor playing oh god the butler i can't remember the name of his character if he had a name it might have just been called the butler the actor playing the butler is the same boris karloff that played the monster in Frankenstein is like, just to assure people, no, this, this is the same guy out of, you know, in different makeup, but it's the same actor, you know? So uh, they originally, they didn't know what they had. I think that they just, they kind of thought, Oh, we can throw anybody under that makeup and Mm -hmm. they'll just walk around and go, no, he added. And they did after. (laughs) (laughs) They kind of did. But, you know, it's kind of amazing because I did read, a little interview with him when he, after he did Son of Frankenstein, and that was the last one he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, well, the costume's hot and the makeup is blah, blah, blah. He just felt that they had done everything they could with the character. Yeah. And there really wasn't anywhere else it could go. Yeah. In fact, didn't he even object to speaking in Bride of Frankenstein? Right. He did. Yeah, he did not want to speak he in that. Say, he thought the power of the creature or the monster in the first movie was the fact that he had to portray everything without speaking, without dialogue. Right. So he did later admit that was a mistake. Speaking in the in Bride of Frankenstein. Right. He thought he thought it was a total mistake. Right. And he was what he I, was right in that after Son of Frankenstein, the monster almost became a prop. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of. You know, it's like he's barely there in House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula. Goes to Frankenstein, there's a there's a um, a major presence of the monster, but then he turns into Igor at the end of the movie, supposedly. Right. And then you've got uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, where fellow Lugosi finally got the role that turned down originally. Yeah, yeah. had all his dialogue. <laughs> yeah, they cut his dialogue out. No explanation for why he was doing what he was doing. That he was blind and. Mm-hmm. Uh, poor guy. No, no, he can't be blind. And they just, yeah, but they still had him in there just. Right. Yeah. And that, well, that's that, the version everybody uh, started doing after that. But if they, you think right. about it, whenever they would do a stereotypical Frankenstein, whether it was in a cartoon or whatever, he's always got his arms right. out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's almost like Bella Lugosi's portrayal was actually what stuck. Yeah, because it was rather without the dialogue and without the backstory, it was kind of cartoonish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, supposedly the the producers laughed when they heard Lugosi's voice coming out of the monster. <laughs> of course, which I would love to have. I would Igor's voice. I would love to have heard mm-hmm. Igor's 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 voice right. as the monster. Because if they had gone in that direction of the monster is now intelligent and actively evil not an innocent you know it would have been interesting to see where they would have taken the character of the monster 
That would have been interesting. You know, I, I want to say too, one of the things with with the monster speaking in, in Bride of Frankenstein, if if you listen to, you know, the Grinch or any of his other roles, it doesn't sound like him to me. You know, I watched the film over again and it didn't sound like your friend, you yeah. know. It's oh, yeah, it's a great did. performance. Listen, Not to take anything away from Bella, I, I do like Bella's no. uh, Eeyore. I, I think that oh, is yeah. one of the best roles um, uh, among many that that he played. It just yeah. What, yeah. One of the worst, or one of the most scariest things. I don't, and I I never think of them. Like Frankenstein monster is scary because he was always like, oh, he's like a friend to me when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. But in Son of Frankenstein, there is a moment that really like is blood curdling to me. And that's when the monster finds Igor's body and he he's like touching him and try And then he lets out this cry, this high pitched, yep. like it seems incongruous coming from this hulking monster and he this high-pitched cry and it's like whoa and i just thought that was such an interesting way for karloff to go and i don't know if that was his choice or the director's choice or what but it was a really like just kind of terrifying screen i have a theory that igor and the monster were actually in love i <laughs> honestly think that they were i honestly think they were in love I'm not going to say you're wrong because <laughs> <laughs> I really think all the hints, obviously they couldn't express it in the 1940s, mm -hmm. but I think, I think that it's all there. The way Lugosi kind of coos to the monster, come Fred this way, you know, that, that kind of thing. And just the way he's so tender with the monster and yeah. uh, that reaction when uh, Igor dies, uh, his, his scream he's lost his only friend you know yeah well and look let, let's be honest you know now we look back but 1940s hollywood there were a lot of couples both straight and homosexual yeah. um i'm thinking of uh, what was it dracula's daughter oh yes oh, yeah. oh, you know, i mean you know it is what it is and whether it was accepted then or not i mean you know but it's a very interesting um relationship and the dynamics I think are there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised they didn't kind of bring that to the for forefront in like any of the hammer versions. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, none of the hammer versions ever. The monsters were yeah. byproducts of <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein, you know, but I mean, they, you know, they had a lot of sexuality in those films and things. And oh yeah. Something where they could have, brought it to the forefront or you know or any of the modern remakes i mean no one really touches on that i think the closest we got to that was the rocky horror picture show <laughs> <laughs> you're right yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you're right but um y you know he just uh, you know his his role in the mummy I, I a lot of people complain they wish they would have seen more of the mummy that makeup had what, what like arsenic or I was like 
poison back that was toxic. Yeah. Like asbestos in the bandages or something. Asbestos, right. yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Um, you know, his take on Artith Bay, too. I mean, I yes. I I enjoyed that performance as well immensely. Yeah. And talk about not uh not complaining. He was in head to toe costume wrapped in that thing could not go to the bathroom until the end of the day mm-hmm. they shot him walking out of the sarcophagus over to the young guy him going mad da, 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 da. they shot a couple of versions of it the version they used you never see him full body walking never see it he and might as well thing. just he might as well <laughs> just been wrapped to the waist down and then his feet i mean there was more time spent in that makeup a uh, chair then they got on film right right yeah and you know and, and he he probably went to the bathroom in the suit he probably shouldn't have but <laughs> you do what <laughs> you, you gotta do you gotta do what you gotta do right yeah yeah but i think that i think that all of that his uh gratefulness to the the horror roles to the monster to Jack Pierce and just for having a career again, goes back to struggling for 81 films, you know, before he was able to land this, he was just so grateful to be working and to be well-known and have a career and make a good living. Well, absolutely. And and let's not lose sight. You know, he came over here. I I forget what year, you know, worked these jobs, worked in theater. You'd mentioned some radio. He, He lived here in the Bay area and we want to do a shout out to our friend Don uh, mm-hmm. Bishop. Uh, we had a, a breakfast or a brunch one time, and he took us up to where Boris was staying out in Vallejo. Yeah, lived there for a few months when he was when he was in town. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, the the man put in his dues. Yeah, I, the current residents probably had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what are these four idiots standing up there? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's- I don't know how many people actually know the background of that house and actually go there other than someone like Don. But, oh, I know. True. Uh, yeah. When we went and saw the Michael Myers house down in, uh, in LA. Oh, I remember that. Myers was with us. And uh, they had a sign, you know, please do not stand on the porch to take pictures or, you know, so obviously <laughs> a lot of people go there to check that out, but I don't think it's the Boris house is, as much of an attraction as the Michael Myers house. But if, if I stayed there, I would have a sign friend. Good. <laughs> Get the off the lawn. <laughs> I, I was thinking though about Lord blood raw, what you said about how James whale sort of, um, I don't know, tried to humiliate him by saying, Oh, he's the, the truck driver or whatever, but his family, uh, uh, Karloff's family, actually, and I was surprised to read, they were all um, uh, expected, like all his brothers went off and served in, I think, like a diplomatic. Diplomatic uh, corps. Yeah. Yeah, in India. Right. And and he actually was part Indian, uh, I think, on his mother's side, which is interesting, because now when I look at him, I can kind of see like, oh, yeah. And I guess he always told people, well, you know, I have a tan from being in the, the California sun. <laughs> you know, no, things were different like back then. Beautiful olive skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. And so, um, yeah, just the things people used to do. But right. yeah, he bucked that whole thing. You know, he, he could have 
gone and and done that and probably lived sort of a very genteel life but that's not what he wanted to do he wanted to be an actor and and like you said he really suffered for it he spent all those years and then he you know he had the success but that now that kind of really irritates me that whale would be like oh the the truck driver it's like yeah well he would tell a story that he and his wife of the time dot would uh basically between films they do gardening they plant vegetables and they had a little farm. And his whole idea was, if I don't get another part, we need to be self-serving and be able to live off the land. And, you know, because oh I mean, when he started and he was doing acting, he was making like five dollars a day yeah. on a lot of these roles. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure he didn't get much more for Frankenstein because, again, he was even though he had done like 81 films, he was still a relative unknown. And, you know, he's under all this makeup. It's like, right. okay, he's kind of a secondary actor. Right. So, uh, so yeah, even though he was a f- professional actor, he wasn't really making a living on it until yeah. later on. And, like, not only probably was he not paid very much for Frankenstein, he spent hours with Jack Pierce experimenting on him with the makeup right. with no pay. With no pay, I just, you know, it's mind-boggling now to think about. And I think that and some of his other experiences pushed him into being one of the um, founding members of the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Good point. Which was a very interesting thing to discover, that he was one of those people who founded it in Mm -hmm. 33, which was just, you know, a couple years after... um, he, you know, reached fame with Frankenstein, which was pretty ballsy because it wasn't like he was super established and didn't have anything to lose. He still had something to lose, you know, but he was on the board of uh, the Guild, I guess, for over 20 years. And so, you know, looking out for his fellow actors, um, you know. Well, he was in the trenches. I mean, you know, some of the films that he did prior to Frankenstein and then I won't say the ordeal of the makeup, but the the makeup, you know, it, it was it was tough mm-hmm. and not as bad as the mummy. But and like I said earlier, he, he never complained, but I'm sure he kept that in his mind. I mean, you know, without a, support of unions here, <laughs> without a union, you know, you're working how many hours? You're you're getting little or no pay. There, you know, you you get fired like on the spot. There's no. Mm-hmm protections and and so god bless him for for doing that i mean he accomplished a lot but that's that's a major accomplishment to be proud of he had some smarts about him i mean when he came over to canada from from england and he was doing stage acting in in canada and he basically you know when he went for his first role he made up this whole story about this big acting career he had in england and i mean you don't have the internet back then as you can't really check up on him right so he could say anything so yeah he had this huge career and he was this big actor in england and he wanted to come over and make his way towards hollywood and you know and they basically hired him based on that you know to do plays and things on uh, in canada but well hey that's how i got this gig on planet eight so you know (laughs) (laughs) you know that's kind of interesting how uh karloff's experience is kind of a mirror image of Lugosi's because Karloff had no acting career at all 
in his home country, came over to Canada and then later the United States and built a huge career. Lugosi's career was bigger in Hungary. He was a huge stage actor in Hungary and very well known and respected, came to America, worked, got Dracula, became big. According to all the stories, blew his money and was rather difficult to work with and had a more kind of tragic end than uh, than Karloff did. Well, Lugosi, he was doing uh, Dracula on stage, like, oh, yeah, before he got the film role. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And had to lobby hard to get the film role. They didn't want him. Had to they had to uh, remind Universal that Bella Lugosi was still alive for him to get into Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh, wow. Yeah. And from what I from what I recently heard, an agent, Bella Lugosi's agent had to take like the receipts and statistics of how much money Dracula made for Universal and go into the producers and dump it on their desk and show them this man saved this studio. This film saved this studio. You've got to put him in this film because this is the role that made him. And that's what that's what finally made, you know, made them do it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's just surprising that he didn't play it in any other film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, two films. It's like, you know, Karloff got the monster in three films. Yeah. yeah. You know, of course, Lon Chaney Jr. played the werewolf throughout, or the wolfman throughout. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was like Bella had to wait for Abbott and Costello to bring him back as uh, yeah. Dracula. And the, the thing that amazes me, and I think we talked about this in our vampire episode, is the fact that in all his scenes as Dracula, he never has fangs. No. Never worse than yeah. No. Yeah. 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 He goes to bite, you know, I mean on the neck and things, but yeah, you don't see the fangs as he's going in. Yeah, no. Wow. Right. He played, I mean, the film uh, uh The Return of the Vampire mm-hmm. yeah. was, was originally going to be a sequel to Dracula. Hmm. Universal sued. Because it was made, I think, by MGM, I think. I might have that wrong, but it was made by another studio. It wasn't made by Universal. And uh, Universal sued, said, no, you cannot have Dracula and you cannot have him playing Dracula. So they changed the, the story a bit. But if you look at that film, it's more or less a sequel. It's a, it's a sequel to Dracula. Yeah, it works. It works very well. Right. Yeah, that's uh, a good film, too. It's a very good film. Well, speaking of films, let me ask you guys. Yeah. Each of you, uh, we'll start with Lord Bloodraw. What's a favorite performance, be it film or television, that uh, Boris Karloff uh, was in? One of other your personal Frank's. favorites, other than the monster, of course. Uh, other than Frank. Yeah, yeah let's say yeah. let's say Frank is <laughs> me out of it. Yeah, yeah. The, the monster is a gift. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. Um, I've. One of the one of the more unique and fascinating ones I found is a little known film called West of Shanghai. Mm. And even as I'm saying that, I'm not sure that's the title. I believe, yeah, West West of Shanghai. Yeah, West of Shanghai. And Karloff plays a Chinese gangster. He's called G- General something general chin i think it is i'm not quite sure but he's like a uh, uh like a warlord in this area it's set in the 1930s and he's a he's a criminal he's pseudo military uh a complete villain 
but he plays him with this incredible charm this great kind of i mean you know it is it's a he's doing a chinese accent and he's obviously in in chinese makeup but he plays him with just this kind of roguish humanity this kind of fun there's just this fun character this fun quote-unquote villain and i thought that 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 performance is great and if you compare and contrast that to him playing fu manchu in the mask of fu manchu which is one of the most racist movies (laughs) ever made ever made but he plays fu manchu obviously as a more arch villain but not in he never falls back on the racial stereotype he plays him as a chinese man but he is a very well educated erudite chinese man he's never playing that for his his asianness as part of his villainy he is just a villain a highly educated villain that happens to be asian so his performances in those in those two films it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, never get away with it today. Obviously, never get away with it today. But he does such a great, he walks such a fine line in both of those performances. I just I just found it fascinating. Well, he also mm-hmm. went on to do a series of the Charlie Chan movies, too. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Which I, I don't believe I've ever seen any of his Charlie Chan movies. I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't know how many movies he made. I think it was over like a 10-year period or something that he made. Oh, he did a series of them. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Karen. This is tough. Um, I don't know. If we, if we rule out the monsters, I still, I guess, of his horror films, I would say, then I would probably next go to the black cat Mm. um he's just like and that that role is just so like irredeemably evil right um and then you have the great pair up of karloff and lugosi so um that one is is great but then re-watching some stuff or watching some stuff for this i saw targets again that's just such a great and it's it's more topical than ever that that film is just so uh such a gut punch and i feel like we're getting to see more of probably what karloff was really like in that too yeah you know so um it's enjoyable to kind of see uh sort of like what he was like later in life and um yeah, and just that ending where he just sort of, well, I mean, it's an old film, so spoiler, but where he just confronts the, the killer and just kind of smacks him around, you know, yeah. like, it's, yeah, there's just something about that that's, um, I don't know, it's it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be um, gratifying, but it sort of is, but it's still very very kind of depressing yeah, absolutely <laughs> it's karloff really playing himself that's the most auto autobiographical uh performance he's ever given and he, yeah he's so so good at it 
Yeah, I tried to see any if I could find any comments from him on that film, but I my brief Googling turned up nothing really. So <laughs> well, that had to be like his last film or close to it, right? Very close. Yeah. Very close. Yeah. Unfor unfortunately, not for the fact that he died, but unfortunately it wasn't. That's not the performance he went out on. Yeah. He did a series of three films in Mexico. I don't want the let's see uh the crimson altar I believe is one of them uh island of the snake people uh, which I posted and uh <laughs> another one that I can't I I can't remember yeah some cheapies no, not winners yeah not winners how about you bob well i mean there were a couple films that yeah i kind of rewatched leading into this one take the older one first was the body snatcher Oh, where he, uh, you know, in Frankenstein, you know, Dr. Frankenstein and Evo are Fritz in the first one. Right, Fritz, that's right. Digging up the graves. But in Body Snatcher, Boris gets to take that role. And he's basically a grave robber. And he's getting bodies for a scientist that's doing experiments. And uh, he ends up, and Bella Lugosi's in this one too, in a fairly small role. But he ends up killing Bella, and that's kind of sends him over the edge at the end towards the end of the film. But um, his performance is really good because he's like this I don't know what you say, like a lighthearted psycho. Yeah, because <laughs> he's really, you know, he's he's right on the verge of evil, but he's got this sense of humor. And when he's talking to people and things, he's like, joking around and kidding with them and you know but uh i, I thought it was just a really good performance um completely forgot about that movie yeah, yeah. and then the other one would be uh die monster die because i'm a big fan of nick adams of course from monster zero and all <laughs> the world and uh yeah he's in this movie with uh with boris karloff and it's just they play it pretty straight, but it's kind of a wild and wacky idea because it's like this meteor crashes mm -hmm. and Boris thinks it was sent from God. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Where it landed, you know, plants started growing and things. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a miracle. Right. So he's taking all these little radioactive chunks of meteor and sticking them in plant in pots with plants and the plants are growing. And, you know, of course everyone around those plants are all getting sick and you right. know, radiation poisoning. Right. But, um, and it's then that monster in the, in the greenhouse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's an American international film. It's a lot, you know, it's yeah. a lot of fun. Based on H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's color from outer space. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, I definitely enjoyed both of those. Nice. Uh, well, uh, like Karen, I, I enjoyed uh, Targets and one of my favorite performances of Boris Karloff. And and like it said, unfortunately, that's not the one he went out on. But, you know, in, in my mind and heart, it, it is. Um, this was done back in the late 60s. Peter Bogdanovich. Um, first, I'm, I'm not going to name names because I don't think that people who perpetuate these types of crimes deserve any recognition whatsoever. Should you choose to Google, um, that's fine. But there was a shooting in 1966. Was it the Texas? Yes. Uh, where is it? University of Texas Tower shooting. Yeah. 
And there's actually a scene in Targets that it, it's not, you know, scene by scene based on that person, what they did. But it it was the 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 start of an idea that Peter had for this film. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was interesting is uh, Bogdanovich got uh, to make Targets because Boris Karloff owed studio head Roger Corman two days of work. And look, Karloff being the the deal maker, and you know, my word is my my name, and right. Um, so they another thing that was interesting about Targets is uh, a very young Jack Nicholson, perhaps his first starring role. I'm not sure, but it was a film called The Terror. The Terror. The Terror. And yes. So yeah. they used pieces of that film in right. Targets to show that um, what was the guy he played Orlock. Oh, oh, Byron Orlock was, was okay. Uh, yeah, so in the Carlos. targets, he played Byron Orlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in targets, and um, you know, he he was this famous horror star from you know way back when, and uh, because of the climate, you know, the the shootings that were going on, the types of crimes, he no longer felt that he was scary as an actor playing these roles. And so he's, he's you know, the height of his success in the movie is this Orlock character. And he, he's like, I'm, I'm out. I'm not going to do this anymore. And, you know, uh, they, they talk him into doing one more um, live, uh, uh, not a signing, but, you know, they're going to take like, him to a drive-in movie. Drive -in. He, yes. Show his film. Um, and, and like you said, Karen, the, the ending to me, I was kind of like, I don't know if the guy was on acid or, or what, but he's like looking at the movie screen, looking at Boris Karloff, looking at the movie screen of Boris Karloff. On, well, yeah, he, I, I think he just, he was so deranged. He couldn't tell what was real and what, yeah, he, he just couldn't tell reality from fantasy anymore. And yeah, he was looking back and, and he shot Boris's like assistant or his friend, the girl. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't remember her name, but he was Jenny. so, huh? Jenny. Ah, thank you. Yeah. Well, I just saw it. He was he was so upset, and I remember as a kid, my grandfather wouldn't wouldn't hit me with the belt, but he'd come up and give me a real good slap in the face, and that's what Boris does. He goes up to the shooter, just smack smack, hits him with the cane. The cops come and and arrest him, and he makes a comment, something like, "This is what I was afraid of." Right. Is is that what I was afraid of? Is that what I was afraid of? And then you know. That was it. But um, if you haven't seen this, any of these movies, I'm going to check out some of the ones that Lord Bloodrod mentioned and Bob. Um, but Targets is really, really good film. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich actually has a, a role in this film mm -hmm. as well. So well, um, he produced it. He directed it. He I... wrote it. <laughs> he stars in it. Hey, right. Well, I think one thing, you know, in referring to these movies, there's a quote by Boris Karloff that he didn't like calling any of these horror movies mm. because he said a lot of those, they do appeal, appeal to children. They're entertaining whole families. He wished that they didn't call them horror movies. Maybe they would call them like terror movies instead of horror. But um, yeah, he just didn't, he didn't really like being associated with horror horror films mm. he felt mm. 
terror or mystery or what have you, but. Well, that's interesting because one of the things we haven't talked about is his delving into television and he did a show called Thriller, right? And Thriller mm-hmm. had two seasons. It was on from 1960 to 1962. And when it started, it was much more about mystery and suspense. And as I understand it, it started slowly moving much more into like gothic horror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much of that was just maybe in the beginning, maybe him wanting to do more of a mystery show or I, how it was pitched to him or whatever, but um, I didn't get to see it. They didn't show it when I was a kid. I, it wasn't repeated like Twilight Zone was on all the time. So we saw that. I saw Hitchcock later in, I think the 80s, They somebody started showing it, um, but I never did see Thriller. So I had watched a few episodes on like YouTube for this. And it's like the standard thing where he would they would start to show a sequence of a story, then Karloff comes on and kind of talks a little bit about what's going to happen. I thought it was interesting. He would introduce the actors. The actors would come yes. and he would say, these are the players, and then they would do the show. So, um, yeah, it looks like an interesting um, show, but I wonder if he originally wanted to be more like a mystery show and then they decided to go a little bit more into the horror angle. Well, he even, actually, uh, I saw that he even uh, appeared in one of the episodes. Yeah, he was in five episodes. Right. Yeah. Mm. And that was actually the second TV series that he had. The mm. first was called The Veil. Mm. That ah. never aired. Oh. A number of episodes. It's available now on, on DVD and Blu-ray and probably all over YouTube. But um, there were a number of, of episodes that they shot um had an i believe an entire season in the can and the distribution company fell apart and oh. it just never worked so it, uh, it it was never aired wow. but uh yeah i highly recommend getting the uh the okay. uh dvd uh dvd collection or i'm sure i'm sure they're on youtube few of those are were very very good and the name of the series again was the veil the veil, the veil. yeah yeah, I posted a couple of those episodes on my cathode zone on my on my YouTube channel. Ooh, to take a look out for that. Yeah. Well, and and you know they took those thriller episodes and used those to launch a gold key comic book, which yes. only the first two issues were Boris Karloff's thriller, and then with thriller getting canceled, then they started calling it Boris Karloff's Tales of Mystery. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about and, that. Uh, my uncle had a few of those issues, and at one time I had them because I got his books, but I I went and looked in the collection to see if I could bring them out and show them, but I guess I sold them already. So <laughs> I think I've got one or two floating around in my closet probably, yeah. I, uh, uh, Will Vajaro uh, had uh, given me a set of uh, DVDs. He upgraded to Blu-ray, I guess, and it was the old series Route 66, you guys driving around in a convertible Corvette and, you know, in and out of crimes and mysteries and stuff. But in the third season, the sixth episode called Lizard's Leg and Owlet's Wing, um, Peter Lorre, Lon Chaney Jr. and Boris Karloff uh, star in that episode. And Boris actually puts 
the Frankenstein makeup on yeah. uh, in that episode. And I think it's the last time he ever wore the makeup. Yeah, um, and they're playing themselves. And, and they're playing themselves. Uh, yeah. I think they're going to a convention or something, right? Well, uh, Peter Lorre contacts Lugosi and Cheney to meet them at to meet him at this hotel because he wants to do a new horror project. And uh, Karloff is against it. Almost kind of a, a you know, flashback to uh, 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 Targus. He says, look, we're old hat. We're not, we can't do it anymore. And da, 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 da. Uh, Cheney's game. It's really interesting because they're all supposed to play themselves. And Boris Karloff is Boris Karloff. And Peter mm-hmm. Laurie is expect Peter Laurie. And Lon Cheney is just a big kid. <laughs> that just hey guys i'm yeah i'm ready to do this in fact there's a scene where to prove that the monsters are still scary cheney puts on the werewolf makeup yeah wolfman makeup and uh it's at the same hotel as um back then back then they were called secretaries a secretary convention oh. and he goes into the ballroom and scares everybody da, 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 da. and then he meets this one woman that he can't scare and he starts crying. <laughs> that was that was the drugs kicking in. That was the, the, the drinking. That was the drinking kicking in. Yeah. Peter's like, you know, Karloff, why is he crying? He's been on the sauce, old boy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was cool. If if you guys, I'm sure it's like I said, YouTube or you oh, know yeah. something that's out there. It's I'm something pretty, worth I'm pretty watching. Sure it's like YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did a lot of TV shows. I was, yeah, looking through YouTube and checking different things out. And um, he did a, a This Is Your Life. They yep. pulled him up to do a, This Is Your Life. And that was a pretty interesting episode to see some of his uh, friends. His He had like a, what would be, I guess, a equivalent to like a high school friend show up. And boy, I think he just wanted to keep talking to that guy and not do the rest of the episode. That was... That was interesting. Yeah. And um, he was genuinely excited to see uh, Jack Pierce. Yes. Oh, yeah. Feel he was so excited to see him again. Yeah. Right. And then they brought out some well-known cricket player who had gotten an autographed ball for me. It was, oh, he lit up. Talk about a little kid. He, he looked really excited when he came out. Well, and then there was the manager of a cricket team. This is the only time... I think I ever got a glimpse of Boris Karloff angry is this guy was talking about how Boris had supported the team. And he said, in fact, and Boris said, no, 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 no. And he said, no, no, Boris, I'm going to tell it. And apparently like he funded an entire season for the team or did something major for the team financially. And he was like, well, thank you. But he did not want, he didn't want to blow his own horn is what it was. And that, so he's, obviously a humble guy mm-hmm. you know, but he was like mm-hmm. oh no no no, no, no. yeah that's that, uh really yeah again youtube look for the boris karloff you bet your life because he was so angry when he realized <laughs> and he's so shocked because the, the the setup if you've ever seen you bet uh not you bet your life but it, this is your life the setup is the person who's going to be the subject of the show doesn't know they're somewhere doing something else at another show, da 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 da, da. and right. then uh, the host comes in and says, "You know, that this yeah. is your life," and they're they're shocked. And uh, I saw an interview with his wife, his sixth wife, 
Yes. We didn't talk about that. But she said, oh, he was so mad at me for setting up This Is Your Life. And when he went up to, you know, get on the stage, he gave me the most withering look. She says, but I think he was okay later about it. Oh. But he did not want to do the show. Well, it's pretty scary because it's like, you know, if somebody came to you and said, yeah, Karen Walker, this is your life. Right, right. It's like, who? Oh, no, who are they going to bring back up? and look for people from your past? It's like, oh, right. people you really want to see? Or is it like... They find quick, out quick, about the bodies. Where'd you dig that? Side note, they, they brought that show back, like, in the 70s. And they did Angie Dickinson. And the host, you know, she's at some show, whatever. And host comes up. To her and says, Angie Dickinson, this is your life. And she says, No, it isn't. And she walked out. <laughs> they couldn't, it was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. So, is if I remember right, they did the episode without her. Oh my gosh. She <laughs> did not take part in it. She must have really thought she had some dark secrets. <laughs> right? I know. Yeah. Who did she anger oh, in her? Coming out. They had uh they had an episode with Laurel and Hardy. Um, it, it's a great show, and, and you know, when when it originally aired, if I remember correctly, they and not that they're at the end of their career, but they built a career, and so you know, to go back to their high school teacher or you know their neighbor who mowed the lawn and stuff right. like that, it was right. cool to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, I I want to go back and watch the Boris Karloff one just to see him and Jack Pierce again. <laughs> it, yeah. it is cool. Some genuine affection there. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, a friend of ours, Strephon Taylor, Uh, did a Jack Pierce documentary. That is great. Yes. Yeah, it is a really good documentary. If you haven't seen it, you can go to Mm NovemberFire.com and purchase it there. And it's just, uh, you know, there's not a lot of like actual film footage of Pierce that was available. So a lot of it is is stills and pictures and uh the way he uses the camera movement on the stills you you almost think that oh yeah you know that everything's moving and you know that some of it's film but um very good very good documentary you, you'll learn a lot if you're interested in the universal monsters makeup jack oh, yeah. specific and absolutely yeah. a lot of good information mm-hmm. that's not um, part of my sensor suite by the way <laughs> Speaking of which, any last minute uh, uh, stories or, or comments on on uh, Mr. Boris Karloff before we switch over to the sensor sweeps? All right. I just say, you know, whether he wants to be or not, he's basically the face of horror. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the guy. Yeah. So well, for for oldsters <laughs> like us. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Dracula was first, but I think, you know, Frankenstein really launched the horror genre. And, you know, I don't think it would have been even you know, remotely as popular if it wasn't for Boris Karloff and his. Yeah, yeah he was prolific and yeah. versatile. You know, he did so many different types of projects, worked with so many different people. Yeah. Um, yeah, amazing. Amazing guy. And never phoned it in. Always gave 100%. Even when he could barely walk and barely breathe. 
Mm-hmm. Still gave it one hundred percent. He was still. Oh, die, yeah, die monster die. He plays the entire movie in his wheelchair. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. Um, well, this was a wonderful Christmas with Boris Karloff. Thanks, Boris. Christmas with Karloff. Yes, we we raise a glass and cheers to Merry you. Christmas, Mister Karloff. <laughs> Cheers to uh, all of you as well uh, for being here on the podcast. For all of you listening, um, tell you what, let's go ahead and jump into our censor sweep. Lord Bloodraw, you being the guest. Um, What do you got going on uh, that we can share with our listeners either now or things coming up? Um, We're coming into the Christmas season or next year. 2024 is upon us. Take it away. Well, being the end of the year, I'm uh, making plans for uh, appearances and live shows for next year. But as always, you can check out my uh, TV series, Lord Blood Draws Nerve Rack and Theater, on the Nostalgia Network. And that's Saturday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and again at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. And you can get the Nostalgia Network on Roku, uh, Sling Free TV, BTS, local, um, a whole bunch of uh, platforms. If you go to watchnost.com, you can find uh, where to watch it. Uh, there's also my podcast talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about uh, Boris Karloff and his um, radio work. You can check out my podcast, Lord Blood Draws Nerve Rack and Auditorium, where I host uh, classic old radio horror and science fiction. You can get that on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever podcasts are available. Uh, and also on YouTube. On YouTube, I also put uh, a new episode of Lord Blood Raw's Nerve Rack and Theater up every Friday. You can check that out. Uh, my third show, Captain Paxar's Star Cadet Hour, uh, you can find that on YouTube as well. All of the YouTube things, you can go to go to YouTube, look for Lord Blood Raw. All of those shows will come up. Uh, it's on hiatus now for... The holidays, but you can catch uh, Captain Paxar's Star Cadet Hour, new episodes starting January 6th. And on that uh, show, it's all uh, classic episodes of 1950s ch- children's science fiction shows, like mm-hmm. uh, Flash Gordon, Captain Zero, Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe, Rocky Jones, all of those uh, things. And I they switch out episodes... Uh, switch out those episodes per episode of Paxar. So you can find all that on YouTube. Uh, anything else, go to lordbloodraw.com to find out uh, what I'm what I'm doing and where I'll be. Hey, uh, I, got a, for the I got a request, man. You got to show uh, Rocket Robin Hood. <laughs> I looked for Rocket Robin Hood. Unfortunately, it's not public domain. Really? I thought, sure, after all these years, it'd be, you know, some... Uh, I believe those are made in Canada, so the Canadian company still holds the rights to that. I wanted to. That was always one of my favorites when I was a kid. Was Rocket Robin Hood? I wanted to do that, you know. And I looked into like all the Herculoids and those things, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that's all Hanna Barbera. I'm sure those. That's all Hanna Barbera. You can't touch those. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mentioned have... Rocket Robin Hood to people, and they usually they're like, "Huh? Oh, Rocket Robin Hood? Yeah, I remember that." Yeah. I have some great news for you, Lord Blood Raw. Mickey Mouse will be in public domain next year. <laughs> it's like the, origi- like the original black and white design of him or something, right? Yeah. Well, like Winnie the Pooh and some other stuff. Don't underestimate uh, the Disney lawyers. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. Oh, we do it somehow. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. Uh, Chief, what you got going on? Yes, sir. Well, I'm hoping to have a big announcement really soon, but we're still in the process of negotiating. So, uh, here I thought someone was pregnant. I'm like, oh, uh, wait a minute now. <laughs> am I showing? <laughs> um, no, no, it's uh, we got big plans for 2024. And uh, yeah, pretty much everyone here knows. Lord Bloodrun knows very well because he was in our last meeting. That we had uh, over the weekend about it, but um, yeah, it'll be it'll be big. But uh, in the meantime, I got some trinkets. Uh, leading up to this episode, I was reading out of this book. Mm. And that's uh, Karloff, the man, the monster, the movies, and this is so old. In fact, some of the pages are almost falling out of it. But um, this was back like all of us. Scholastic book. <laughs> You were in school and they pass out the little, you know, paper, basically, that had, you could check off what books you wanted to buy. And I'd always go right to the film and TV section and look for whatever monster books they had. And this was one of them. Got that there. Um, And then for some reason, I paid my, uh, my Best Buy bill and I overpaid it. So I had a credit. So I was over at Best Buy today. What am I going to get? And I found they have 4K steel books of season one and two of The Mandalorian. Oh. They're like $49.95 each. But um, I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll get that. Basically free with an overpayment. Holy heck. Nice. And then lastly... Um, this just came out, so I haven't had a chance to read it. I don't know if it's good or if it sucks or whatever, but I did get it. It's the uh, official novel of the series by Pat Cadigan of Ultraman. Hmm. Oh, Ultraman novel based on the original series. So how bad could it be? But, <laughs> you know, I tend to be overly critical about things I love. So, uh We'll see. Maybe I'll uh, give a book report in a later episode after I get around to reading it. Yeah, that's not a rousing promotion. <laughs> it was better than, uh, what, the last dinosaur book that I had? Yeah. <laughs> every every time I laugh, a couple of pages drop out like Lord Blushrow. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> Walker, what do you got for us, bud? So... Did I share, I think I think I shared with Bob and Larry the saga of me getting my mini stereo before Thanksgiving. So Amazon basically screwed me as they usually do. I, I really wanted to get this, this little mini stereo, like a, what they call a shelf unit with like little speakers and a CD player. I still have hundreds of CDs because I believe in the power of physical media. And so I ordered this thing. I thought, oh, this is great. I'll get this right before Thanksgiving. I got four days off, start listening to all of my CDs. And it has, you know, you can hook up your Bluetooth so you can play your phone and other stuff. And so it's like, uh, it's not gonna arrive Wednesday night. It's Now it's gonna arrive Thursday morning. And I'm like, that's still okay, that's still okay. You know, I, I'll. 
I'll live with that. And then Thursday morning, it's like, well, now it looks like it's going to be Friday. I was like, ah, Jesus. And then it was like, eh, maybe it's going to be Monday. So they <laughs> they just, through the whole weekend, this kept happening. It finally arrived like Sunday. I know. So it, usually they usually set, throw in a uh, undetermined date or something in there. Oh, yeah. I would have totally just lost my mind. <laughs> But <clears throat> more pages fall out, right? It's a very nice little Philips unit with the speakers. It has really good sound. And so, you know, I've been listening to stuff, but what I got myself were these little goodies right uh, here. Those were my very first Beatle albums back in the, like the early 70s. Well, Bob, these, the, the Beatles, what are affectionately known as the red and blue albums, these were the very first like rock albums of any kind that I had. And I can't remember if they were Christmas gifts or birthday gifts to me. Um, and so that holds a little bit of a special place in my heart. Um, but, you know, they remastered these. They added uh, some more songs to these. So now they've they've brought in some, uh, they kept all the songs that they had before, but they added more songs to them. So like now, um, They've got certain songs I really like, like Tomorrow Never Knows off of Revolver. And and with the especially with the Red Album, um, because a, a lot of the early songs were on really like limiting four track recording. Um, what they've been able to do with all this fancy pants machine learning and stuff, they've been able to separate, you know, like a lot of times they'd be like, OK, we're going to put piano, a vocal and drums on this track, you know, and everything was a little bit muddy. They've been able to go out and separate all of those things out. It, it sounds a lot sharper now. So it's really interesting. I imagine we have some crossover with listeners who are interested in music, maybe the Beatles, whatever. Um, I would say it's well worth it to go out, even if you're like, I've got all those on another disc or three albums, or, you know, we replicate so many things because we're, triple dipping and whatever. Um, <laughs> but these are really worth it. I think especially the red one sounds really good. The blue one, I think they were starting to do eight tracks and uh, recording and stuff. So it may not sound as different, but the red one really sounds fantastic. You know, one thing I'll say about the Beatles too, is if you don't have the mono Beatles set, that's the one to get. Because, yeah. Uh, a lot of the stuff was specifically recorded with the mono well, they were all everything was recorded mono back then. Right. Was listening to music on their AM radio in their car with one speaker, right? Right. So that was like the big emphasis. And when the Beatles would record the songs, they'd all be there and they'd be intimately involved in the mixing of the mono tracks. And then they'd leave and ah, we're done. And then George Martin and uh God, what's the guy's name? Uh Emmerich. Anyway, mm -hmm. engineer, they would sit there and do the stereo tracks, but they wouldn't really pay a lot of attention to the stereo tracks. So a lot of times it'd be like all the vocals are on the right channel and all the instruments are on the left channel. And you can, you know, you can just sit there and turn it, you know, just turn up the uh, right channel and just hear them sing or turn up the left channel and hear it like instrumentals. But, um, but the mono recordings though are like, you know, these are, these are the way they're supposed to be. How God and the Beatles intended it. 
Right. right. <laughs> Can I add one more thing? Talking yes. about pages falling out, this one fell in. I recently saw an incredible documentary called A Disturbance in the Force, How the Star Wars Holiday Special Happened. And I love that. Not how it was made, Ew, how it happened, how this weird freak of nature occurred. <clears throat> and it's a great documentary. It's on Apple TV. Highly recommend it. It's also available on on, uh, on Blu-ray and, and DVD as well. But uh, I don't know what the website is. But if you look up a, a, a disturbance in the force, Star Wars holiday special is bound to come up. And it's what? so fun. And so such a slice of that time period of when that thing was allowed to be done. <laughs> and, and yet you still cannot get a, an actual official version of the, of the holiday special. Oh. You get almost all of it in the documentary, I'll tell you, at least the highlights. Uh, that documentary happens to be in the mobile command. <laughs> there you go. I should have known. I should have known. So, Lord Bloodraw, I, I agree because everybody asks, why did George Lucas? Because it wasn't just George. No. It was the lead actors. It was it, – and, and it's – I, it's it's hard to describe. First of all, if you've never seen the Star Wars Holiday Special, find it. I, it it's out there on YouTube or the Google or whatever. Oh, yeah, best watched on the heaviest drugs you can get your hands on. Oh, oh let me Nyquil. And <laughs> I'll tell you what I loved about this is that they says, "Well, look," and everybody says this. Even Schwarzenegger in his documentaries, "Did you smoke weed?" It was the seventies. Okay, so. It was the 70s. And how did they promote things in the 70s? Variety shows were very big in the 70s. People don't understand that we we watched Sonny and Cher and Tony Lando and Dawn. That was what was on. Shields and Yarnell actually got a variety. They're ventriloquists, or not ventriloquists, but uh, mimes. So they're, they're showing Donnie and Marie had an episode where they they had Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. They had dan- the dancing stormtroopers. Spoiler alert: were the Osmond brothers, right? Right. Um, it, With Bob it, Hope, the, Bob Hope special, Dean oh, Martin. Uh, you know they 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 had all these varieties. But yeah, Skywalker, uh, Mark <laughs> Hamill was singing and dancing with Bob Hope, and they show footage of this. Bob Hope is Darth Vader. It, you know, basically, um, it is such an interesting and well-made documentary. They they tried to, who was it, Lord Bloodraw, the director, I think? They, they tried to interview him, and he refused to be interviewed, even oh, after uh, all these um, years. Ombre? Yeah. Ombre, something like that. Oh, yeah, he just doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Oh, I'm just done with it. Yeah, And, you know, I, I won't take the steam out of it if, if you get a chance to to watch it you are it, it, it's a hell of a lot more interesting than the star wars special itself i'll tell you that much oh it is it is and um disney being what disney is they they actually had some life day merchandise in the park this year so anything to make money go, oh, go figure i mean that was the first place you could see boba fett right that yeah. was the first time. And the thing even has that little Boba Fett cartoon from the holiday right. special. I think that's why they can't disown it entirely. Yeah. Because Boba Fett is significant, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And um, like I said, it, it, it's interesting. They, they don't put the blame on anyone, but they just kind of explain how it came into being. I guess they don't, they don't interview George Lucas, do they? Um, it's old interviews, okay. nothing, nothing new. Yeah. Um, but even with his interviews, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, look, bottom line, they were afraid that people were going to forget about Star Wars between Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. As ridiculous as that sounds. Yeah. And one of the guys was saying, you know, this was this was this period of time where Star Wars was it. There yeah. was no Empire. There was no Return of the Jedi. There were no Ewoks. Right. There were no bounty hunters. It was yep. just star wars right that was the only glimpse of that universe we had we didn't have all the lore we have now right, right. there was no lore and it, it's just it's a fascinating thing to watch it really um, is. yeah yeah but I'm, I'm glad you brought that up <laughs> i'm gonna have to get apple tv I, <clears throat> do you guys all have apple tv i i, I don't and hence the physical media okay. um it, it may be streaming on Google or, uh, I mean, Amazon, Walker, I'm not sure. I don't know. I wanted to have a copy well, of this so that I could take it to people's houses. I, I had to get Apple Apple TV Plus for uh, Legacy of Monsters, even though right. I got press access to the entire series, like, before it came out. But. Well, I was thinking between that and then I hear a lot of good stuff about For All Mankind is supposed to be a really good series. Plus, J.J. Abrams is working on speed racer the series yeah speed racer series on apple tv plus um i just read something before we came on on air where we came to record um coogler's working on uh the x-files i read that a while back uh, news to me so i'm oh, like news. okay they're gonna start casting oh so a reboot a reboot, yeah. That, mm. No Jillian, no no Duchovny. Mm. And how's that going to work? Mm. I, yeah, I, I don't know about that. We'll no, it didn't work so well when Duchovny left. I mean, think and, about that uh, new Kolshak the Night Stalker. Oh, that was a travesty. Well, let's <laughs> yeah. not. Now, you know, that being said, Battlestar Galactica, uh, Ron Moore. Good. Fantastic. Lost in I, Space. The new Lost in Space was actually good. Very good. You know, I think that's the thing. You have to take something like Battlestar Galactica. You take something that was kind of just okay and not great, you know, and, and then but rework it. Wasn't it wasn't great. <laughs> there, just don't listen to this part, Bob. <laughs> there, 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 there's a group of fans who think, uh, you know, there were death threats because Star, Starbuck became a female. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and people were just pissed. And sorry, but Katie Sackhoff did a better job than Dirk Benedict ever did, uh, in my humble opinion. To each their own. and Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. We'll see. Some people like Batman versus Superman. Some people not so much. I got it in. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Start, how do we transition from always mentioning Popeye to always mentioning Batman versus Superman? I don't know. It's magic. It's magic. Hey, uh, for those of you that listened to our last podcast about the MCU, news today, uh, Marvel drops actor Jonathan Majors after the assault verdict. Yeah. yeah. 
So we speculated, we thought, we thunk. Where are they going to go? Um, Lord Bloodroth, since since you weren't part of that discussion, do you have any thoughts? Who would the, the new Thanos of the MCU be if you had a uh, an ability to play with that IP? They can go a lot of different ways with this whole multiverse thing, like with um, Loki. Mm-hmm. You had a female Loki, totally different person. Yes. You had a uh, an alligator Loki, totally different person. You could have a totally different Kang. Yep. Uh, you could have a, a Kang so psychotic he wipes out all the other Kangs. Yep. And you've got, you know, this new guy is Kang. Um, the Although it was interesting, I, I heard that it was in Jonathan Portman's contract that no other actor could play Kang. Majors? Jonathan Majors. I'm sorry. But, yeah, but the contract is null and void now, right? Because of the conviction. I mean, who knows? Yeah, but with the multiverse, you know, how that affects contracts, who knows? <laughs> Disney lawyers, man. Disney lawyers. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, we'll see. But I thought that as well. If, if they could have an alligator Loki, right. they could have an anything, right. you know, mm-hmm. Kang show up. But now the rumor I had heard was, even before this verdict, is that they were going to gear up towards uh, Dr. Doom yeah. being the next big bad because they want to introduce the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. for the third or fourth time. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. yeah, we'll we'll see because they're introducing the X-Men too. So who would uh, a good X-Men, you know, and then look, I- I'm a super fan of Galactus. You, you give me a, a good representation of Galactus, I'm there. Yeah. yeah. But um, we'll see. That was interesting you didn't news. Like him as a big news. Cloud? What's that, Bob? You didn't like him as a big cloud? No. 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 <laughs> cosmic fart. There's only one cosmic fart in my heart, and that's V'ger. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yes. Very good. Uh, anyways, so <laughs> uh, anything else you guys are reading or watching or um, Bob talked about this before, and I, I got a copy of the Godzilla minus one soundtrack. Oh, so good. See that? I need to see it. Oh, I may sneak it out and see it. Ended yet again. So if you haven't seen it in the theaters, mm-hmm. get out there and see it. Yeah, I may do that. I tomorrow's my last day of work, so I may sneak out this week and go see it. Yeah. You're you're retiring or you're on vacation? If only that were true. Oh. <laughs> I heard last day of work, I and I'm like, oh, wait, what? My last day until January second, and then back oh. to the grindstone. God willing, I need the job, so don't jinx me. No, <laughs> three, three years, four months for me. Not that I'm counting. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, if only. Yeah. That just kind of bring up something Bob, you being like the the Godzilla guy in this group. Did you ever think you would see this much Godzilla content available? No, absolutely not. Yeah, isn't it wild? Yeah, it's like we've got Godzilla X Kong coming up. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh We've also got, well, with Zuni, right? Have you seen Zuni in that one? Yeah. Monarch? See, Larry and Karen didn't know who Zuni was. Zuni yeah. was a little character from Fireball XL5. 
Welcome home. Like a monkey. Everybody's stumped. Anyway. Everybody's like. <laughs> I'm just here nodding uh, like an idiot. Like, oh. <laughs> anyway, yeah. We got Gazelux Kong coming up. We got uh, Monarch on TV. We've got Minus One in theaters, which just that alone and the critical acclaim it's getting. Wild. It's already nominated for an Oscar for Best Special Effects. Ooh. And it's a. Uh, you know, there's I think it's a Critics' Choice Awards uh, nominated for Best Foreign Film. And yeah, it's like suddenly he's getting a bunch of respect. In fact, yeah. I didn't probably hang a Frankenstein mask on him. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's a, a very cool thing. Yeah. And hopefully it'll continue into next year. Yeah, oh. I, I'm very hopeful that there will be a sequel um which oh, people I'm sure are I'm saying sure. yeah and if, uh, and if you like minus one you can go back and watch space battleship yamato the movie or you could watch loop on the third the first both of which were directed by yamazaki who directed Godzilla minus one interesting yeah, it, it's one of my, if not my favorite film of the year. So, yeah. Yeah. I get um, okay. So I think we're good. <laughs> I think this is, this is the end of this episode. Okay. okay. That being said, <laughs> happy holidays to all you. Merry listeners. Christmas. Happy. Um, well, we'll be back before the new year. Right. So. Yeah, so no, we won't. I won't, no, be won't. We'll be back in the new year. We'll be we'll back, be back in the new year. And at some point, Lord Blood Raw. Wait for your happy new year. <laughs> well, yeah. we got to do Battle for the Planet of the Apes next yes. Oh, I'm going to say we're going to be, be there. Let me know. I can't wait for Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, I know. That looks well, good. Yeah. Well, we got to do Battle and the TV show and Turn. I think we could stretch this out another three, at least as until your retirement, Bob. We could do Planet of the Apes. No, I mean that we've got Xbox to do that with. Uh, okay. I'm in. I'm in. Anytime you're going to talk apes, I'm in. All right. We'll, we'll All right. And and hey, you you guys out there watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple, or if you have some ideas for some shows you'd like us to tackle um let us know you know google google <laughs> facebook instagram or x whatever the hell they're calling it this this week um and please nothing like twilight yeah <laughs> and i know no batman versus Superman. look at the faces on your screen right now appreciate our age when you make a suggestion <laughs> Batman versus Superman. If you guys get like a thousand <laughs> votes for that, we get a thousand. We'll have to do it. We'll yeah. bring Lord Blood Raw back for that one. I'll talk about that movie. I'll make sure I have a few beers before that one. <laughs> <laughs> that might be one of the discussions we have offline with a couple of beers. <laughs> well, that, might, that might have to be like the drinking episode. <laughs> there you go. Stay here and drink and talk about the movie. <laughs> Take a shot every time you hear the word Martha. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you say that? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, my friends, thank you again for uh, for uh, being here for Christmas with Karloff. All you listeners out there, uh, all of you watching, 
happy holidays. Uh, however you celebrate, happy life day. <laughs> if, you know, that's that's what you celebrate. But you take care, stay safe. Planet 8 signing off. Peace out. You know, I'm really not such a bad sort once you get to know me. I'm not so good in a crowd, but when I get you alone, you'd be surprised. He isn't much at a dance, but then when he takes you home, you'd be surprised. He doesn't look like much of a lover, but don't judge a book by its cover. He has the face of an angel, but there's a devil in his eye. He's such a delicate thing. But when I start him to squeeze, you'd be surprised. He doesn't look very strong, but when you sit on his knees, you'd be surprised. You're at a ball I've got to admit I'm nothing at all But in a Morris chair You'd be He's not so good in a house, but on a bench in the park, you'd be surprised. I'm not so much in the light, but when I get in the dark, you'd be surprised. On a streetcar or in a train, you'd think I was born without any brain. But in a Cab, you'd be surprised. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.